I'm going to read again from Luke chapter 23. We're going to read from verse 34 to 43. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Terry, thank you so much for reading for us this morning. Do uh, keep your Bibles open. It'd be a great help for me if you're uh, able to follow along. Uh, Let me just uh, pray for us uh, before uh, we start. Uh, Father God, uh, we do thank you uh, for your word. Uh, We just pray that uh, the things that we uh, do not know, uh, please would you, by your spirit and through your word, teach us. Uh, The things that we don't have, Father God, Uh, Would you please, uh, by your spirit, uh, reveal those to us and the things we are not. Please, would you make us more and more like your son. Amen. Uh, Last week, uh, we started our series looking at the seven sayings of uh, Jesus, his final words uh, before his death as he hung on a Roman cross, uh, bleeding his life out. And we said the purpose of the series is really to get our hearts ready uh, for Easter, to journey uh, towards that and allow us to meditate on what it really means uh, for us uh, to be Christians. What is this incredible privilege that has been bestowed uh, upon us? And allow that, as we do that, for God really to stir uh, our hearts, to warm our hearts uh, with an affection uh, for the one uh, who has given us uh, so much And as we journey through Lent, it's a great time for us to have our pride uh, humbled, uh, but at the same time, have our hearts lifted uh, to the skies, knowing how it is that we are loved. And this week, we're going to be looking uh, at uh, this uh, saying of Jesus, truly, I tell you, today, you will be with me uh, in paradise. Now, in our reading today, I want to see uh, three things. I want to see uh, those who are swept along. Uh, I want to see uh, the one who is woken and the transforming hope. Swept along, woken, and transforming hope. So, 
Uh, Where are we in our eyewitness account of Jesus' death? Where are we as we come to this reading? Uh, Jesus has been uh, tried by a kangaroo court. Uh, He's been beaten, he's been tortured, and he is now hanging on the cross. And what Luke does in these few verses is to paint a a picture, the scene uh, around uh, the cross. And and, and the the painting is just simply masterful. Uh, It reveals uh, the way in which the world and the human heart uh, together conspire uh, to cause us to resist Jesus. Uh, Take a look with me at verses uh, 35 uh, through uh, 39. Uh, The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Uh, Although it's written in quite a a linear fashion and um, it gives us a a painting of all the things that are going on there, it's actually giving us an illustration, a picture of all of the things that are going on uh, at the same time. There's a storm of anger, uh, of uh, revulsion, of rejection, uh, of mockery of disdain and disbelief and utter abuse. It's a, it's a vile explosion of the worst of humanity, if you like. And although it is a vile explosion, it's not in the least bit uh, chaotic, but it's deliberately laid out to show that the rejection of Jesus actually comes from every quarter. Now, these verses show us all the leading voices who look at Jesus on the cross can see nothing but foolishness. Uh, To them, what's happening to Jesus makes absolutely no sense in the light of his claims that he is the son of God. Uh, The religious elites, uh, in verse 35, they see that as utter folly. The soldiers, who are the strong and the brutal enforcers of the time, the cross they see as utter weakness. The civic authorities, uh, the ones who put that uh, uh, um, uh, title across uh, his cross, they see the man dying on the cross as a vindication of their power. Now, those victims of the norms of culture, uh, the criminals on the cross, they see what's happening to Jesus on the cross as simply tragic. And the people who are mentioned in verse 35 who look on, uh, for them the cross says nothing other than be afraid. The people look on at all the leaders, and while they do, all the power structures of the time, cultural, political, religious, and judicial, they all scream out, the cross is folly. And when everybody is telling you that the cross is utter folly, friends, know this, know this, that you too can be swept along with that notion. Even if you think, I know that the cross isn't folly. I'm a Christian. Recognize that the pressures of those around you can lead you to just being swept along. To believe that the good things around us are actually the ultimate things. 
the things that we should build our lives on. It's easy, isn't it, uh, to start to believe that the most important thing for our children is, well, it's good grades, not great character. To think that career success is much more important than my marriage. That the world is here to meet my needs, not that I'm here to serve those around me. That money matters more than integrity. We can so easily be swept along. Now, you may be thinking, hey, so steady. I'm not one to be swept along. I do know my own mind. Now, if that's you, a cautionary fact and a cautionary illustration, if I may. The fact that the global advertising industry works on the basis that if they show you a picture, a TikTok video, a friend face advert or a TV ad or something often enough that you'll want to rush out and buy it. And we know that's true, don't we? We know that that's true. The advertising companies know it's true as well because they spend hundreds of billions of pounds a year doing exactly that. Advertising works. How many of you at this moment are now feeling hungry? Uh, Juices going, perhaps? Now, the cautionary illustration Uh, In 1962, an American psychologist, uh, Solomon Ash, uh, he ran an experiment on conformity that you may well have seen. It was shown on candid camera. Uh, The man in the hat uh, enters a lift. He has no idea what's going on. He's just a regular Joe about to go up the elevator. A whole bunch of actors walk in behind him, and they all know what they've been invited to do. But the bloke of the hat has no idea. Everyone else comes into the lift, the doors close, and as the doors close, everyone in the lift turns around to face the back of the lift. The man in the hat is, oh my word, everyone's turned to face the back of the lift. He knows that it's wrong, but within three or four seconds, he can't help himself, and he too turns around and faces the back of the lift. Then they wait two or three seconds, and everyone in the lift then turns around and faces the front of the lift. And this man is now bemused, but he does exactly what everybody around him is doing. And then everybody in the lift puts their hat on and then takes it off. And he takes his hat off as well. The man just got swept along. I know that's a really funny or bizarre illustration, and we might think that would never happen to us, but... Just do remember that, that it is so easy for us just to be swept along and how easy it is for us to be drawn into behaving in the way that the world around us behaves, to behave in line with those who deny the cross. And our own hearts, they can deceive us as well, can't they? Firstly, the pride in our hearts rails against the notion that salvation is a gift, that it's something that's given to us. You know, the pride in our heart says, no, 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 I'm actually good enough for this. I can earn this. I can make God give me this gift. So that's that's the pride. I don't need the charity. 
But secondly, there's acute fear in us, isn't there? Because we know that we never can earn God's love. We know that we never meet God's standards. <laughs> we don't even live up to our own standards, do we? We just don't do that. And so Luke paints this picture of what's happening around the cross uh, as a world where everyone is just being swept along, believing that the cross is folly, when it's actually the most amazing thing. But recognize that that scene is being enacted around us all today. Now, the trolls on the internet are the equivalent of the soldiers, ready to take down anyone who steps out of line by professing that Christ is the only way. The schools, the educational authorities, cancelling Christian assemblies. Workplaces, uh, the economic authorities, so afraid of the backlash that they banish religion to the home as not relevant to the place where actually most people spend most of their waking hours. Churches even, the religious authorities, denying some of the key tenets of the Christian faith and so peddling something that actually is no longer good news. And we, as children of God, swim in this culture. If we don't ground ourselves and each other in Scripture, if we fail to show one another the delight of what God has done for us to each other, that the cross is wisdom and not folly, then we too run the risk of being swept along. Now, if that's the scene, uh, with all uh, of what it looks like for people to be, the whole world to rail against the wisdom of the cross, then who can be saved? And that's our second point. If we look back at uh, verses 35 to 39, uh, I wonder um, if we didn't have these verses, uh, who might we have thought was the most likely candidate to believe that Jesus is the son of God. Maybe uh, you'd have thought, oh, yes, the religious leaders, right? These are the guys that know their stuff. Maybe they've come to their senses. Or or maybe it's the soldiers who have a moment of compassion. Uh, We read in Matthew's account of this scene that both the criminals on the cross are actually hurling abuse at Jesus. And when you look at the scene, you think, gosh, there's (laughs) there's nobody there uh, who we think actually can be saved. And we ask ourselves, is there anyone, is there anyone who can see the enormity of what is happening to Jesus? I wonder if we had to pick one person that we thought would never see it, I'd imagine that we'd say it's probably one of the two guys on the cross, either side of Jesus. And yet, one of them turns to Jesus Jesus and says these words, But the other criminal rebuked him, the first criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, Just minutes before, uh, this man, who turns now to Jesus, has been hurling abuse at him. He was nailed to the cross and he knew that for him, the only way out, the only way out, the only way for him to get off that cross was through death. He saw the whole world reviling and mocking Jesus. Uh, The one who was on that cross, Jesus, was underneath a sign that read, this is the king of the Jews. And he saw that he likewise was nailed to a cross facing death. 
the one under the banner, the king of the Jews, well, he wore no royal clothes. In fact, he'd been stripped naked. He had no royal crown, just a crown of thorns. No entourage of advisors or military escort. No, this one calling himself king at that moment was utterly alone. What sort of king is this? Uh, In the words of Isaiah 53, his appearance was marred beyond human semblance. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men and esteemed not. And this criminal had a front row seat to the apparent weakness and folly of the cross. All of the people that Luke shows us in this scene, well, I guess the criminal is maybe the one that we would have thought least likely to believe. And in the midst of everyone rejecting Jesus, we read this criminal's amazing confession and profession. We witness his waking up. We see he is no longer being swept along by the views of the world. Uh, We aren't told uh, exactly what it was that prompted this confession. Maybe it was Jesus asking his father to forgive those who had done all of this. We don't know. But we do know that it was only through the work of the Holy Spirit that anyone is saved. From move from death to life. It was a work of God in this man's heart. Now we see this criminal, he does five, uh, uh, he tells us five incredible things as he speaks. Uh, t- take a look with me in your Bibles. Firstly, in verse 40, uh, he asks the other thief who's uh, hurling abuse at Jesus, don't you fear God? Not, don't you fear the Roman authorities, the ones who've nailed you up? No, he recognizes that God is the one to whom he's ultimately accountable. Not to Rome, not to the religious authorities, not to the crowd but to God. Secondly, he admits, doesn't he, that he's wrong. We are under the same sentence, he declares. Thirdly, he recognizes that the punishment is fair. He's getting the penalty that his wrongs deserve. There's no blame shifting, no denying, no minimizing. The punishment is just. And fourthly, he acknowledges the goodness and the power of Jesus. Did you see that? He says of Jesus, here's a man who's done nothing wrong. He's one who prays for those who are killing him. And fifthly, he pleads for help. He pleads for help. He asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. He sees that Jesus is indeed all that the sign above his cross claims him to be, the king. Even though everyone around him is denying it. And even the sight of his own eyes of a naked man nailed to a cross cannot overwhelm the truth that the Spirit of God must have revealed in his heart. That this man, this man is king. And he's able to take that criminal into his kingdom. What amazing grace. What amazing grace. This salvation that is extended to this criminal... It's all thanks to what God has done. Not because of anything that the criminal has done. Now, the criminal hasn't signed up to a single church rotor. He hasn't been part of the practical ministry team helping the old and the infirm. 
He hasn't been an upright member of the community. He has done nothing to merit his salvation. And yet, because the judgment of God fell upon Jesus, this criminal has been woken up. He knows that if he shelters underneath the work that God is doing in and through Jesus for him, if he shelters under that, he will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And he trusts that he will be. Uh, We see genuine repentant faith here as well. Uh, I, I don't have time to unpack this, but in verse 42, we see that the criminal has faith. He trusts in Jesus. Uh, We see prayer. He speaks to Jesus. Uh, We see in him a humble and contrite heart, which is evidence of his repentance in verse 41, uh, turning away from trusting in himself and his own ways and wanting to trust in Jesus. And in verse 40, even, we see brotherly love as he urges the other criminal to wake up, to ask for the spirit to make him alive. His faith, even at the last moment, is genuine. That's so encouraging. But it's also challenging. Uh, It's encouraging because no matter what we have done, the mistakes that we've made, uh, the people that we've hurt, uh, maybe even we've blown up our own life, our entry into the kingdom of God is not a function of what we bring. We can never bring enough. You see, we are not barred from the kingdom of God by the bad things we have done. God has paid for all of those things through Jesus. And seeing that, seeing that, and having the Holy Spirit bring that to this man's heart, stopped this criminal from being swept along and woke him up. Moved him from death to life. Out of all of those people witnessing the greatest work of salvation ever, it was this criminal who, in the words of Zechariah 3, was snatched like a brand out of the fire. Criminals woken up. I just want to uh, invite us just to look inside two of the words that Jesus uh, speaks. And hopefully we can see uh, some transforming hope uh, in there. Uh, I mean, the whole of what Jesus says there is just, it's extraordinary. And uh, we could spend weeks uh, just looking at uh, those uh, few words. But I just want to pick out two uh, for us this morning, which is uh, with me. With me. Uh, take a look in your Bibles and, uh, uh, and have a look at those verses. Uh, see what it is that the people who are being swept along have to say to Jesus. In verse 35, they call for Jesus to save himself. In verse 37, uh, we see the same call, save yourself. The second criminal calls for Jesus to save both himself and to save the criminal. You see, everyone's crying out, aren't they, for Jesus to save himself. For all who looked, for those being swept along, It seemed to them the only sensible thing for Jesus to do was to save himself, get get himself off the cross, to lift himself out of the pain, away from the punishment and away from the judgment of God. But as Jesus looked out, as he looked out from inside the crucible 
of God's wrath and his judgment being poured out on him, being revealed on him in our place, the only thing for him to do was stay. So great was his love that he chose to stay. Ironically, if he'd saved himself, then all of us would have been lost. His staying was saving us. As he stayed on the cross, he paid the debt that we could never pay. And that's something we're going to remember as we have communion uh, this morning. And did you notice what the criminal who turned to Jesus says? Uh, Or or maybe more accurately, what he, he doesn't say. The criminal who turns to Jesus, he does not say, get me off the cross. Rather, he says, remember me. See, as this criminal looks at Jesus, the true king, paying the price for, the, for his rebellion against God, and our penalty too, if we believe, you see, all that the criminal wants, the only thing on his heart, is for him to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. Even if, even if that means staying in the trial that he's in. As long as in that moment he is with Jesus, that's enough. That's enough. Even as his earthly hopes are just being bled away, his very life ebbing from him, as long as he has Jesus, that's enough for him. That's enough for him. You see, he's seen the love of the king for him. It's personal. It's personal. And it's melted his heart. And that is enough for him. It's what he was made for. He just needs Jesus. And if that means staying in the pain, if it means staying in the suffering and the worldly shame, he knows that having Jesus is enough. It's worth it. How about us? How about us? As we journey through Lent, as we think about our trials and our situation, is Jesus enough for us? In our sickness, is Jesus enough? In our work troubles, is Jesus enough? In our family situation, Is Jesus enough? See, the first criminal, the one who rejects Jesus, presents a real challenge to us as we reflect on uh, this uh, this whole event as we journey through Lent towards Easter. The first criminal, he asks Jesus to save himself and to save him, the criminal. He asks Jesus to be the means by which he can get what he wants. He doesn't want Jesus really. He wants Jesus to get him off the cross. He's using Jesus. He's using Jesus. And it's a challenge for us, right? I just wonder where in our own hearts are we using Jesus to get what it is that we really want? 
Where in our hearts do we approach Jesus like that? Do we see Jesus as being enough only if he'll fix our health? Is Jesus enough only if he'll fix my job problems? Is Jesus only enough if he'll fix my marriage? Do we love Jesus? Or are we actually seeking to use Jesus to get what we really want? It's challenging, isn't it? It's really challenging. And if that's us, if there are places in our hearts, if we recognize that in our own hearts, then what we need to see as we journey through Lent is what Jesus says to him. He says that we will be with him. With him. In Hebrews 12, 2, uh, the writer tells us that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He endured the scorning and its shame. What joy? What joy was set before Jesus? Now think about this. Before the foundation of time, Jesus was in the bosom of the Father, uh, loved and adored by the Father and the Spirit. Loving each other perfectly. Jesus had all things. The glory and the adoration of the Father. The worship of the angels. What possible joy was placed before Jesus that meant that he would endure the cross and even the scorn and the shame? What joy? Us. Us. You and me. Jesus put all of that glory down for the joy of having you and me with him through all eternity. To Jesus, you and I are worth more than all the valuable stones under the earth. Do you know that? You and I are a source of untold joy to Jesus, of untold delight to the second person of the Trinity. And so the promise of the criminal is true for him and it's true for us. If we will trust in Jesus, we will be with Jesus forever. With Jesus. Not by Jesus as a distant onlooker. Not near Jesus like an employee to the boss. Not associated with Jesus like a distant friend on friend face. No. With Jesus, with him, ruling and reigning alongside Jesus, the one to whom all power, all authority, all dominion has been given. With him, as our brother, the king. With him, face to face, to be fully known and fully loved. With him, as he wipes away every tear from our eye. With him. Because he will never abandon us, never leave us, and never forsake us. And we know that that's true because he did not leave the cross. He endured the cross and its shame for you and for me. And as we meditate on that, as we think about that, as we take that into the very core of our beings, it will warm our hearts Ask yourself, is Jesus enough for me? 
If he isn't, then meditate on these verses. Think about what it means for Jesus to promise you that you will be with him in paradise. And allow the fullness of that promise to set your heart on fire. To know the love of God being poured into your heart by the Spirit. And if we find that we have started in certain parts of our lives to be swept along by the values of the world, consider what it means to be with Jesus now and in the future. And that will lift our eyes. It will lift our eyes from the way that the world tells us to live, the way that the world says we find happiness, and to gaze onto that distant shore. That distant shore where Jesus himself beckons us to go. And by his spirit, he strengthens us and equips us for that journey. Let me close with some words from Leo Tolstoy. Tolstoy was a man who, uh, I guess you could say, almost had everything. Uh, A great intellect, uh, stunning literature published around the world. Um, Fame, women, fortune, magnificent homes. But he realized that he'd been living as though there really was no God. And he reflects on the absurdity of life if there is no God. And he realizes that actually what's happened, that he's been swept along. He's been swept along by the thinking of the world. And he likens his condition to that of being swept along with many other people on a boat, being carried down a river, carried down a river to their destruction. But he remembers, he remembers that there is a hope. And he writes this. What happened to me was something of this kind. I was put into a boat, I don't remember when, and pushed off from an unknown shore, shown the direction of the opposite shore, had oars put into my unpracticed hands and was left alone. I rowed as best I could and moved forward. But the further I moved toward the middle of the stream, the more rapid grew the current bearing me away from my goal. And the more frequently did I encounter others like myself, borne away by the stream. There were a few rowers who continued to row. There were others who had abandoned their oars. There were large boats and immense vessels full of people, some struggling against the current, others yielding to it. And the further I went, the more I forgot. Seeing the progress down the current of all those who were adrift, I forgot the direction given me. In the very center of the stream, amid the crowd of boats and vessels which were being borne downstream, I quite lost my direction and abandoned my oars. Around me, on all sides, with mirth and rejoicing, People with sails and oars were borne down the stream, assuring me and each other that no other direction was possible. And I believed them and floated with them. And I was carried far, so far that I heard the roar of the rapids in which I must be shattered. And I saw boats shattered in them. And I recollected myself. I was long unable to understand what had happened to me. I saw before me nothing but destruction towards which I was rushing and which I feared. I saw no safety anywhere. I didn't know what to do, but looking back, I perceived innumerable boats which unceasingly and strenuously pushed across the stream, 
And I remembered about the shore, the oars, and the direction, and began to pull back upward against the stream and toward the shore. That shore was God. That direction, the gospel. The oars were the freedom given me to pull for the shore and unite with God. And so the force of life was renewed in me, and I began again to live. If you have lost sight of the far shore and are being swept along, ask the Spirit of God to make that gospel hope alive in your hearts again. Pray it hot. As Tolstoy says, put the oars back in your hands and use the strength that comes from hearing Jesus say to you that you will be with him, that you will be with him as the fuel for your journey to where the Lord Jesus calls you, that you will not be swept away or are swept along with the world. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, what uh, uh, an amazing, amazing promise that we will be with the Lord Jesus. Father God, please would you stir our hearts afresh today. Please would you lift our eyes to the Lord Jesus. Father God, where there are places in our lives or in our hearts where the Lord Jesus is not, it's not enough, uh, please would you by your spirit shine a bright light into those places. Might the glory of what has been done by you through Christ on the cross so stir our hearts that we would have a right perspective of the treasure held out by the Lord Jesus. Please, would you place in our hearts a desire for that? Might we rejoice in that? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.